You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The U.S. Congress wants to upgrade Cyber Command's status to a unified combatant command. Phineas Fish takes on police in Catalonia. U.S. researchers find a big piecework sweatshop for social media trolling in China. Operation Groundbait chums eastern Ukraine's cyber waters. Can Flickr still around? Cyber stocks get some investor love this week. And Tesla Crips operators say sorry and promise to close up shop. Yeah, we're surprised too. But on the other hand, the crooks do seem to have given ESET their keys. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, May 20th, 2016. In the U.S., Cyber Command appears destined, at least if the House of Representatives has its way, to be elevated to status as a unified combatant command. A bill making it so passed the House at midweek as part of the National Defense Authorization Act. The White House has threatened to veto the legislation on other grounds. Unified combatant commands in the American defense establishment represent the highest operational levels, answering directly to the National Command Authority. They draw upon more than one military service. Such commands are either geographical, like European Command or Central Command, or functional, like Strategic Command or Special Operations Command. Cyber Command would be a functional command. It currently falls under U.S. Strategic Command. Some members of Congress believe that Cyber Command's growing importance warrants separating it from NSA, with whom it shares a leader. Yesterday, at DCOI 2016, we heard Admiral Michael Rogers, who leads both NSA and Cyber Command, respond to questions about the proposed change in his organization's status. He said, of course, that it wasn't his call, and made all the expected right noises about the change not affecting his command's missions or its readiness to cooperate with all of its partners. Operation Groundbait continues to chum for influential fishermen in eastern Ukraine. Its target seems to be, generally speaking, separatist and pro-Russian. But one shouldn't be too quick with attribution. Hybrid war is rarely obvious. And who's doing the chumming remains to be seen. ESET is tracking the campaign. Phineas Fisher, who just pilfered a Bitcoin trove which he donated to Kurdish anti-capitalists in Syria, remains on the hacktivist stage. He's taking on the Catalan police with an expose of their alleged brutality. He's also said to have taken down a police union server with some data destruction reported. The attack against Catalonian law enforcement is available for your inspection. Mr. Fisher has posted it online. We're used to associating information operations and social media with ISIS, but don't overlook the Chinese government. A study by U.S. researchers at Harvard, Stanford, and the University of California, San Diego, describes a massive propaganda campaign in social media. About 488 million posts are pumped out annually in support of government information goals. 
The operation is organized and compensated as piecework. The operators are called the 50 centers because they're thought to be paid 50 cents a post. As is consistent with China's inward-looking tendencies, the 50 centers principally address a domestic as opposed to an international audience. You may recall Configure, an old worm Microsoft stamped on back in 2008, but it's back, or rather it never really left. Checkpoint says Configure was implicated in one out of every six identifiable attacks in April 2016. It's also teaching a few object lessons. First, an exploit doesn't have to be a zero day to work. Anything that works is just fine with attackers. They're not artists, after all. Second, as we're learning today at the Jailbreak Security Summit, there are a lot of embedded devices that work with older Windows instances, and Configure remains a nuisance in the Internet of Things. And third, Configure's persistence underlines yet again the importance of patching. It was, after all, patched more than eight years ago, and it's still an irritant. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the R&D manager for security at Accenture Technology Labs, one of our academic and research partners. Malek, I know an area of research for you is the use of semantic technologies for cyber defense. Take us through, what do you mean when you're talking about semantic technologies? So when we're dealing with software, um, semantic technology, the, its main characteristic is that it encodes meaning separately from data and from content. You, you know, known technologies uh, are uh, ontologies that are implemented in the OWL language, for example, where you define entities and concepts and then link them to data to give that data meaning. Um, this is different from the traditional uh, IT approach where data itself carries its meaning and its relationship uh, embedded within. We're using that semantic meaning to enrich the data that we collect, say, through um, a SIM tool or uh, any security appliance, we can use uh, those semantic technologies, particularly ontologies, to annotate the data and enrich it so that an expert system can be used to reason about the data. So it, it can identify what the data means and it can automatically correlate and link that data. And at a, a next step, it can reason about the data. 
For example, as it sees several security events, uh, it may be able to infer the progression of an attack uh, and be able to follow how the attacker is moving, what techniques uh, it's using, what what step in the uh, attack progression it is at, and then be able to predict what would be the next uh, attack step. All right, Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. In industry news, this week saw a lightening of investors' moods after recent week's downbeat news and bearish security share performance. Cisco surprised observers, Barron's prominently among those observers, by reporting much better than expected earnings and issuing optimistic guidance. It's particularly noteworthy that the networking giant's security business made a clear contribution to its strong results. Analysts are characterizing Cisco's security network as a hedge against IT sector headwinds. Stock tipsters are now talking about depressed share prices in other industry bellwethers like FireEye, Symantec, and Palo Alto as representing buying opportunities. There's much chatter about going long. This is probably a good time to remind everyone that we are not, I repeat, not offering investment advice. Please apply all appropriate disclaimers about risk, etc. Did I mention that the CyberWire doesn't offer investment advice? There's also some M&A news. KeyW moves closer to selling off its Hexis commercial security subsidiary as KeyW sharpens its focus on government security markets. The buyer will be an undisclosed private equity firm. Investigations suggest that a Bangladesh bank official's compromised computer was used in the SWIFT-related hack. The Bank of England tells UK financial institutions to buck up the security of their interactions with SWIFT. In the U.S., the Securities and Exchange Commission gave the financial sector a stern talking to at a Reuters-convened summit. Too many firms, the SEC says, are sloppy with respect to cybersecurity, and some of their biggest risks lie in cyberspace. Another regulatory body, the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, said yesterday that it plans to issue rules on cybersecurity, automated trading, and positions limits later this year. The new rules will be issued pursuant to Dodd-Frank financial reform legislation. And finally, ransomware continues to hold its place as the principal cyber threat to businesses. The Microsoft Malware Protection Center says that the U.S., Canada, and Italy are the countries most affected. But some good news has arrived from Bratislava. ESET took a direct approach and asked TeslaCrypt's proprietors for their encryption key. To everyone's surprise, except possibly ESET's, the TeslaCrypt hoods not only handed over the key, but also said they were sorry, and said they were closing up shop. One may doubt the remorse, but the key at least seems genuine. So again, bravo ESET.
My guest today is author and historian Abby Smith Rumsey. Her latest book is When We Are No More, How Digital Memory Shapes Our Future. The book explores human memory from prehistory to the present, from pictures painted on cave walls to today with all the world's knowledge available in an instant on our mobile devices. Abby Smith-Rumsey spoke to me from her home in San Francisco. We talked about the history of data technology, privacy, what responsibility we have as cybersecurity professionals to be good stewards of the world's data, our culture's digital memory, in our personal and professional lives. I began our conversation by asking her to describe what prompted her to write the book. Well, I'm a historian, and um, I'm writing about why it is that at times like this, when we're sort of creating more and more information, it's harder for us to keep that information, to create a really robust historical record, both for present and future generations. I talk about some of the technical issues about why digital information is harder to maintain, to capture robust samples of, and to maintain for long periods of time. But I also talk about the risk that that poses if we don't solve the problem. And it's not just a risk to present generations, um, but also to future generations to lose the past. It's easy for us to experience a sense of information overload. Rumsey says, historically speaking, this feeling is nothing new. With each major innovation in information technology, going back to the invention of the cuneiform and the papyrus, and in particular the printing revolution of the 1400s, that in the beginning people, when they glommed on to a new technology, were in a wild sort of experimental optimistic phase where they used it a lot without having in place any way for, to deal with the consequences of producing, for example, so many books as happened in the 15 and 1600s. The kind of shock that people have with the amount of information available digitally is actually very well documented, having been experienced by people in the first couple of generations of print. You know, that sort of emotional and sort of cognitive disjunction of having too much information. You have this kind of vertigo because you can't quite figure out what are, what's important and what isn't important to pay attention to. One of the challenges with digital technology, of course, is how quickly things become obsolete. We don't have the luxury of being able to look at digital information the way we've been looking at books. We can't just burn a CD, put it on a shelf, and wait for 100 years and expect somebody to be able to pull that CD off the shelf and look at it and determine what its long-term value has turned out to be. We have to actually capture that information, preserve it now. You know, anything that is in a code that can only be read by a machine will not endure. Whatever records we leave behind have to be eye legible, have to be read by the human eye. But no, anything stored on magnetic tape or in magnetic means, anything stored on computers that can't be read by eyes but only by machines, we could lose all of that and not be able to retrieve it. It's difficult to know what's going to prove valuable to future generations. History has shown that sometimes there's important information hidden within the most mundane of archives. The British Naval Museum, in fact, has a vast collection of mariners' logbooks from its years on the high seas as the empire that ruled the waves. Each one is a logbook written by hand on board ship that has in detail and in very particular hand. It records everything that happens on the co- in the course of a day on a ship, and it reads actually like a very boring almanac about the birds that are seen and the temperatures and the size of the waves and so on and so forth. 
So they've been able to scan this material, and they've created a database. And now scientists are studying oceans and atmospheres and changes in weather and flora and fauna and things like that that are so important to climate science. They're now looking at these centuries of data about ocean conditions. These old logbooks are kind of like this, this goldmine of information for um, the study of climate change. And incidentally, nobody in the 19th, 18th or 19th century thought that logbooks would be valuable to study climate change because nobody at that time imagined that human beings were changing the climate of the globe. And what about us? I asked Abby Smith-Rumsey about the role of cybersecurity professionals in preserving our future. Well, I think their role is incredibly valuable. Um, just having taken on this very complicated technical task of trying to secure data into the future when we know that the world in which they are operating technically, hardware, software, etc., is always changing. I hope that they, in their capacity as private citizens, actually join the chorus of, of citizens who are demanding that our politicians pay a lot more attention to settling some of these issues uh, around digital security, about protecting national security and privacy at the same time. This is a dynamic kind of balance that needs to be in place. But it needs to be negotiated and renegotiated constantly. And somehow in this political cycle, we seem to be talking about everything but these important issues. So it's really difficult that we operate, and cybersecurity people in particular operate, in a world in which these policies are not dealt with forthrightly. And what about the future? We're sure to make some mistakes along the way, but Rumsey remains hopeful. As an historian, I remain optimistic that we may go through a lot of losses. We have a lot to learn, and we learn best by making mistakes. But in the end, we will actually master memory in the digital age as well. The short-term losses will be acute and, um, and very regrettable. We could lose a lot that we really want to keep until we figure out how to master these, these systems of memory. And I think it's even more important that those of us who are living through this transition document the kinds of things that we're going through, um, exactly how we feel about this transition, so that in the future people will have a record to how the world they live in um, passed through this time of great turbulence and note the things that might not have survived into the future. That's author and historian Abby Smith-Rumsey. Her book is When We Are No More, How Digital Memory Shapes Our Future. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, she'll be leading a discussion and book signing at the Library of Congress on Tuesday, May 24th at noon. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 